podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the Gotta Get Shot YouTube channel and podcast. Uh, we are back for for a one-off special that we don't normally do, uh, a fan opposition view on, on a live stream. But I am joined tonight by Harry from the best Arsenal podcast, from Chronicles of a... Uh, mate, I'll, I'll stand on this hill, I'll die on this hill for you. The best Arsenal podcast, Chronicles of a Gooner. Uh, thanks very much for, for joining me this evening, Harry. Um, and obviously tonight we're, we're just going to be previewing the Newcastle versus Arsenal game, which is coming up on a Sunday. A huge game for both clubs, I would say. Um, so I think, first of all, Harry, I, I want to take it back to earlier in the season and look at, at the game where Newcastle visited the Emirates because there was a lot of backlash which, which came from that game, from not just Arsenal fan base, but but I would say the Premier League and a, a few a, a few people and journalists and pundits as well regarding that game. Um, a lot of people weren't happy with Newcastle's style of football during that game. So Newcastle were using dog arts and time-wasting and basically being a non-football side. I know it was a while ago now, so I'm glad you've, you've had time to simmer down from that one. <laughs> <laughs> what are your initial thoughts on that from, from back then in that moment to right now? So at that point, at that time, I was livid after the game. Um, I felt like Newcastle recognised that they were away to the league leaders at the time, to a side that were playing really, really well up until that point, and did what they felt they needed to do to get a point. Now, my frustration when that happens at Emirates, and it happens a lot at Emirates, this is not something that only Newcastle did. Um, you know, a lot of teams have come there and done very, very similar things. And listen, let me just from the up from the from the off, let me just be clear. I don't have an issue with Newcastle doing that if that's what they think is going to get them the result that they're looking for in that game. I would expect my team to do that at certain points when they go away to sides that, you know, are capable of beating them. That's how it goes. Uh, but what my issue was that night was with the officials, because I feel like the officials can do more to stop that kind of thing. And I don't ever blame the players because the players will take as much as they possibly can take um, in terms of sort of maybe slightly crossing those lines. For me, the officials have to stop that stuff nice and early and they don't. Um, but this is not an issue exclusive to Newcastle. And, you know, lots of teams have done it. I mean, Eric Ten Hag had a little moan about Newcastle as well, didn't he? And, um, mm. you know, his team do it as well. Everybody does it in certain situations and in certain circumstances. So I was angry at the time, as as you would be as an Arsenal fan, because I felt like we, we should have taken three points that night and we didn't. But at the same time, it's not something that I hold against Newcastle United specifically, because anybody in that situation would probably do that. And for me, it's on the officials to make sure that that doesn't happen in our game or that there is sufficient time added on at the end of our games. And I think that's probably what we're going to see more of going forward uh, is, is officials saying, well, here's eight or nine minutes of added time. A bit like we saw in the World Cup. But again, not taking anything away from Newcastle because the way they defended that night was as good as I've seen anybody defend at Emirates this season. They really limited Arsenal 
and um, and they sort of looked like they had the ability to cause problems at the other end on the break as well. And, and you know, that's, you know, fair play to Newcastle. They came there, they did what most teams would have done um, and they got a point. It was a frustrating point for Arsenal at the time, um, but probably a good point for Newcastle because they were away from home. Mm. Look, looking back at the highlights of that game because because I looked at it earlier this afternoon, and I think a lot of it, like you said, came down to great defending from, from the Newcastle United defender. Well, I'm saying defenders wasn't just defenders was defending from the front line. Um, I, I think a lot of it comes down to, to missed opportunities from Arsenal as well because you had a lot of chances. I think it was something ridiculous like 17 shots at goal you had throughout that game, and Nick Pope pulled off a, a couple of decent uh, uh, saves, but I think it came down to more the fact that Arsenal couldn't couldn't finish the dinner on the night. Um, I think it might be in the game where Jamal Lascelles actually got booked when he wasn't even on the field. I'm pretty confident he stopped Partey from taking a throw-in when he that's was a substitute. Yep. Uh, Jamal Lascelles has done that twice this season. That's why I was getting a little bit confused. Um, but like you said, I think looking back at that, Arsenal had a couple of decent shouts for, for penalties during that game as well. I think those are the handball by Jacob Murphy, which you see some of them given in Premier League games. And there was, was a shirt pulled by Dan Byrne once again. Depending on, on, on what badges on your shirt, you see them given as well. That's what it was though, mate. That's what it was. It was frustration at a number of things. And I think a lot of Arsenal fans felt that the way to vent the frustration was to not focus on the things that they didn't do well enough because you never want to look at yourself first, do you? A lot of people like to look at something else and, and want to point the blame elsewhere. But I think that's what it was. It was a frustration at the fact that Arsenal didn't win the game when Arsenal fans felt they probably should have. And so it was, what can we find to, to make a big issue mm. out of? And, and what happens with Arsenal as well is that Arsenal have a huge social media presence as a football club in terms of the fans. And so what happens is when something like that is said, the narrative catches fire and it yeah. spreads right across and it's very difficult then to kind of keep a lid on it afterwards. Yeah, 100%. I, I think that's probably one of the games where I've seen Eddie Howe be animated in as well mm. because I think there was a bit of a, an argument with him and Arteta at, at full-time, well, just before full-time. Um, and obviously, it, it panned over to, to conference, press conferences afterwards. I think Arsenal was an FA um, breach that, that got put in there where, where your players got, well, the club got fined for... For um, surrounding We've the referee, a few of those, yeah, We've yeah, a few of those this it's been mounting up this season. Um, I just wanted to just to, to put that game to one side and look at Arsenal's season so far. Um, in a nutshell, how would you describe that? Because it, it's been, I would say, Arsenal being on top for the majority of the season. It's getting to the point in the business end of the season now where obviously it's a close competition between yourselves and Manchester City. See who wins that the league. I would describe it as huge progress. That's how I would describe it. Um, it's easy to kind of get bogged down right now by the fact that the title race is in Manchester City's hands and that having led for so long, we're no longer in control. It's difficult to take. Um, it was difficult to swallow, particularly that defeat at the Etihad, which confirmed pretty much uh, that Manchester City are very, very much um, in, the, uh, in the driving seat. But you have to look at how far Arsenal have come in a short space of time. And that has to be what we take away from this season, regardless of what happens between now and the end of it. Because for me, it's it's one of those things where when the full-time whistle goes on the final day, if Arsenal aren't crowned champions, which they probably won't be, there will be a feeling of deflation. There will be a feeling of regret. There'll be a feeling of what if. But you can't, you can't get caught up on that because you have to look at who you're up against. 
And Manchester City are an incredible side. And if you told me at the start of the season that Arsenal would be competing with them, I'd have laughed at you. So to be at this point where we've got four games to go and we're still in contention is unbelievable. And that is a sign of the brilliant job that Mikel Arteta has done. I thought that this season was about getting back in the top four. We haven't been in the Champions League since 2017. It's been a long time by Arsenal standards. And um, and so to, to have achieved that with plenty of games to spare is obviously incredible. We want to build on it and we want to get better and we want to compete with Manchester City, you know, for the years to come. But we have to accept that, you know, we've just fallen short. And I think we've been a bit unlucky as well with injuries in certain areas. There's always been a handful of positions in that Arsenal team that you looked at and you went, well, if we lost that player, then we would be, you know, in a mess. We we don't have sufficient cover. And right centre-back was a, a position that we started the season, actually, with a lot of cover. We had uh, Saliba there. We have Ben White there. We have Tomiyasu who can play there as well. And what's happened now is that Saliba's picked up this injury. You know, he's still not back, still not in contention, still hasn't trained yet. It looked pretty innocuous at the time, but it's obviously a serious problem. And without Tommy Asu as well, who was ruled out for the season a couple of months ago, we don't have that ability to put Ben White back inside. And we don't have the ability um, to, to backfill the right back position in that instance. So we've had to go with Rob Holding, who we all know is not good enough, mm-hmm. hasn't been good enough for seven, eight years. He wasn't going to become good enough overnight. And that's that's cost us. You know, we had to play two, three months without Gabriel Jesus. We dropped a few points in that period that we probably wouldn't have dropped had he been available. So we feel like we've been a little bit unlucky as well. But ultimately, you know, we're going to finish on a really strong points tally in comparison to what we've achieved over the past few seasons. It's just unfortunate for us we're being chased by, or we were being chased by an absolute beast in Manchester City. Mm. At what point did you, did you feel as if that, that I know it hasn't obviously the season and it finished and you're still in the run there. At what point did you feel as if you thought, uh, maybe, maybe we won't grasp this because early on the season, these were steamrolling. I never th- was a hundred percent confident that Arsenal were going to win the league because of the reasons I mentioned. I always knew that there were one or two players that we couldn't afford to lose, and and I felt like that at some point was going to happen. Mm. I always felt like we were punching above our weight, that we were overachieving, and there was going to be a leveling out at some point. And the question was for me: Could we go into that Manchester City game at the Etihad with enough of a cushion? to be able to lose it and still be on top. That was the big, you know, for me, that was the big thing. Yeah. But as we approached that game, we went to Anfield. We were 2-0 up. We ended up getting pegged back to 2-2. Now, I wasn't beating myself up about that because it was Anfield and that kind of thing can happen. But then when we did the same thing at West Ham the following week, that was the point for me where I thought, mm. you know, this is, this is getting serious now. And then... It was three games in a row, wasn't it? Yeah, the Southampton draw was was the, the final nail in the coffin for me. I know the City result was bad as well, but that for me, the Southampton draw was the final nail in the coffin. And that was a weird match to come away from because on the one hand, you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know, we've dropped two massive points here. But on the other hand, you're sitting there and you're going, well, on 87 minutes, we were losing 3-1 mm. and we've managed to get a point out of this. So what I will say about this team is they fight and they fight and they fight. And some people say that they're, that they're too emotional. But for me, um, you know, for me, they are uh, they are a testament to the job that Mikel Arteta has done. And and I think I'm not the only one that would say that the whole club is proud of what they've done so far this season. If they fall a little bit short, so be it. 
it's at the point now where Arsenal are a point behind and they played a game extra now from City. Do you think that that the, the Premier League title lands in, in in what happens this Sunday between Newcastle and Arsenal? Oh, for me, there's no doubt about it. If Arsenal don't win on Sunday, then it's it's done. Um, you know, I can't see Man City dropping the points they need to anyway. Let alone well, they, they play Leeds on tomorrow, I believe. It's Leeds, obviously, yeah. Sam Aldeis' first game. And Sam Aldeis is, is up there with, with Klopp, Arteta uh, and um, Guardiola, as we found out in the last couple of days. Um, so everything can happen over there. Obviously, um, I believe it's Leeds at home as well. Uh, so yeah. obviously, they've got to take the trip over there. So anything can happen in that game, mate. Um, it so, could it could. I mean, for me, the games that I'm kind of earmarked that I thought Manchester City could potentially drop points in would have been uh, the trip that they've got coming up away to Everton, because I know that Everton desperately need it. We know that Goodison Park can generate an atmosphere as well. So that was one of them. Bright and away. Champions League games as well, mate, when you look at exactly. it. Exactly. Either side of that Everton game. I was looking at the Brighton away game, which they're going to play towards the end of the season. And on the final day, they're away to Brentford. They do play Chelsea as well at home, but can che- after park, what I saw it? from Chelsea the other night, yeah, it's a walk in the park. So those were the games that I had earmarked, but that is only even relevant if Arsenal win their last four games and away to Newcastle on Sunday is certainly not going to be a walk in the park. Mm. So so just going to, to obviously this weekend's game, you mentioned there, I think it's, if we look at the last five fixtures for Arsenal, it's, it's three draws, a defeat and, and a win. Amongst there, um, obviously struggling to to pick up a victory away from home. Really, um, is the last place where you want to be going right now, St James's Park? Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, the only yeah, it is. It literally is. Um, you know, it's 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 the worst possible fixture because the mood around Newcastle United is so positive at the moment, and that has a, a knock on effect on the atmosphere. I know the atmosphere is always good there, and you know you guys get behind your team even when. Things aren't going great. We saw that during the Mike Ashley era, but especially now, it feels like there's mm. a bit of a party atmosphere at St. James's Park. In my opinion, you've achieved Champions League qualification. I know it's not mathematically done, but barring a massive sort of self-destruction. That close. You know, yeah, you're that close, exactly. So I think that is that is in the bag. Um, I mean, the only thing I can maybe think of that kind of gives me a bit of, not not confidence, but makes me feel hopeful I guess is that Arsenal are no longer the ones under the major pressure in that mm. everybody says that City are going to win the league now and it's gone and it's finished and it's done and has that just kind of relieved the pressure from Arsenal because to be a top team and, and to win things and to win the elite prizes you have to uh, be able to live with that pressure Arsenal showed over the last few weeks that they probably can't and they're not quite ready for that just yet but now that that pressure has been relieved will we see them uh, come out with the shackles off, hopefully, but it's a tall order. I mean, I enjoyed you guys absolutely smashing Spurs um, just a couple of weeks ago. That was great fun, uh, but we've got to come there and make sure that we're not uh, stupid or, or naive or silly in the opening 20 minutes, stay in the game. And, and if it if Arsenal can sort of dictate a bit of the play, um, then I think Arsenal can score at St. James's Park, but I worry about us at the other end. Mm. It is something which we're seeing more often towards the back end of the season compared to the start of the season when Newcastle we do concede goals. There's no hiding that we have started conceding goals. Not many, but we do concede goals at times. And there's a couple of errors leaking in amongst the back four and five who have been phenomenal 
throughout the season. One, I'll put this on record, probably the best defensive lineup that I've seen at Newcastle for a hell of a long time. They've been unbelievable. And, and like I said at the start of this, that, that's not just defensive line. Obviously that goes up top of the field as well. Mm. Obviously, Arsenal are in a similar sort of pressurised situation now, coming to St. James's Park, similar to what it was last season as well, where I know results pen and it didn't really make a difference at the back end of last season what happened for Arsenal at St. James's. But do you feel as if the pressure got to the team a little bit? Because, and I'm not just being biased here, I've been a Newcastle fan, but St. James's Park on that last game at St. James's Park last season, seeing the stadium transform the way it did in regards to War Flags have done such an important job at, at, at this football club for the last handful of years, even under the Mike Ashley era. But they took it up a level for Newcastle versus Arsenal last season. Every single seat had a flag or a foil or something there. And the atmosphere in the stadium was second to none. Obviously, we saw the documentary now in, in the, the all or nothing, which is the Arsenal thing. And Arteta was not happy after that game. He said that Newcastle wanted it more. And you could tell Newcastle wanted it more. I think he said 10,000 times more or whatever he said. Do you think St. James's Park got to the players that? that day. Yeah, I think it did. Um, I think it did, but probably more than the atmosphere, I think Arsenal just weren't good enough. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think the atmosphere plays a part, of course, but I've just brought up the team that Arsenal lined up with that day. And and this was something that I was talking about at the back end of last season when people were sort of having a meltdown about Arsenal not making a top four. Towards the end of the season, when it was very, very crucial that Arsenal picked up points, they were without some huge players. You know, they were without um, they were without Lacazette up top, who had been our main man at centre forward, not necessarily scoring a ton of goals, but he was uh, certainly someone that linked up the play very, very well. We were without Thomas Partey in midfield. Um, we played a slightly different formation where we had the sort of double midfield pivot rather than two eights that we play with now. We didn't have any of our, um, or we didn't have our left back available. Uh, Nuno Tavares played, El Nenny played that day. So, uh, and Eddie Nketiah led the line. So when you look at that team now, it's very, very different. You know, you're now talking about a side that has, you know, a much more potent forward line, Martinelli, Saka uh, and Jesus, who's added so much to this team. Martinelli's our top goal scorer in the Premier League on 15. Um, and I think looking at the Premier League website earlier, he scored more goals than any Newcastle player as well. I think he was top. And I think someone was, oh no, sorry, someone was level with him. In, was it Callum Wilson? I think was level with him. Callum Wilson because he had 15. a great April to be fair, mate. Yeah, so I think those two were, were sort of between our two clubs were, were there. But then Saka scored goals. Odegaard's in double figures this season as well. And this Arsenal team is just so much better than that Arsenal team. So, mm. You know, the atmosphere certainly played a part that day. There's no doubt about it. But with Zinchenko in there, a bit more experience. Jesus in there, a bit more experience. Xhaka is playing out of his skin this season. Um, he's improved dramatically. I do wonder what Mikel will do in midfield, whether he'll leave Jorginho in like he did on Tuesday or if he'll bring Partey back in. I'd guess Partey will come back in, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, I, I think, yeah, you're right. The atmosphere did play a part and always will play a part at a place like St. James's Park because it's rocking. It's an unbelievable place to play football. Don't say this too loudly, but I've got a huge admiration for Newcastle. I'd love to see them go on and upset the apple cart and, you know, establish themselves as, as one of the 
the big six, if you like, kicks and just, out. Just to interrupt you, Harry, and this is this is an, an I'll vouch for you. Yeah, this is something which you said since the very start of the season. Obviously, we've had discussions uh, away from podcasts and, and as friends, and and you said that that you would like Newcastle to be a part of, of this top six and establishment, like you said, because Newcastle can rock the boat. They can do more than rock the boat. We we can capsize that that boat. The trajectory that can get out trajectory that that the club is on at the moment. And, and you've been all for that. Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. I think when the Newcastle takeover happened, everybody outside of Newcastle was very quick to go, oh, but l- look at who's taking over. You know, look at where that money's come from. And I've always been of the opinion that it's completely, it's really unfair to put that on Newcastle fans. It's really, really unfair because all you guys want is to see your team be successful. All you guys want is to see the good days come back. All you guys wanted was to see the back of Mike Ashley, who was was killing your football club. And we've been there at Arsenal, maybe not to the same extent, but we've been there where we've had ownership tugs of war going on at the top that have caused the team to stagnate. Before KSE, who are now full owners of Arsenal Football Club, took full control, there was a massive standoff between them and Alicia Usmanov, who ended up picking up and going and funding sort of Everton uh, sort of underhandedly. But, you know, that was going on for years. One had a 30% stake. The other had a 30% stake. Neither really wanted to invest any money because they didn't want to be essentially pumping money into the other one's asset. Mm. It was kind of a game of chicken. Who's going to decide they want out first so the other one can buy their shares and take control? And so we had that as well. Not Again, not to the same extent where we were threatened with sort of survival in the Premier League and all of that, but we've had problems. And so I can say firsthand how important it is to to sort of feel engaged and connected with your club again. And you see that with Newcastle. And what I love about clubs like Newcastle, and there's other clubs in the Premier League as well, there is a genuine love, passion and admiration for your football club. This is not a soulless football club like some others that I won't mention the name in the Premier League who have come out of nowhere, were nothing. And all of a sudden, they're a powerful force. You can't buy that. You can't buy that love and that passion and that connection. And you guys have that in an abundance. And that's why I want to see Newcastle, not on Sunday, obviously. Uh, I'm happy for you to, to lay down your sword on Sunday. But after that, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see Newcastle in the mix. Do you think that's more more down to the fact that we're probably rocking the boat to the point where it's Spurs that are falling off and drowning at that point? <laughs> Do you think that's what it is? Um, I, I think that's 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 partly what it is. Um, <laughs> it, no, jokes aside, look, I think Spurs are a football club that you know have, have threatened to go on to a higher level, but never managed to do it because of bad decision making. Um, they are a club that think they are bigger than they actually are, in my opinion. Um, and, and you know, you can say that for a few clubs, but I think for me, there are certain, like for example, when Liverpool won the Premier League, I didn't really begrudge that. You know, it wasn't my preference. It wasn't my choice. But, you know, I looked at that and I went, they've done this the right way. They've built a team properly and they've gone toe to toe with Manchester City and they've won it. You know, you look at all the stuff hanging around Manchester City at the moment, all the questions about, you know, financial fair play and, and the breaches of the Premier League rules and all of that stuff. How can you how can you want that to prevail? That's mm. where I really struggle with Newcastle. I feel like there's a there's a good intent there. Uh, they're doing things the right way. They've got a great manager, fantastic players. And what Eddie Howe's done 
probably better than most managers could is come in and improve players that you already had at the football club and taking them up to another level. That is the value of a good coach. And um, it feels a bit more organic with Newcastle. Yeah, they've got millions in the bank, but they haven't gone crazy and they've done it in an organic way. Now, my view, and I'm sure other people's views, might change if they go out and spend, for example, yeah. £100 million on a superstar in the summer and then they continue to do that. But it wouldn't be anything out of the ordinary, would it? Because the teams that spend the most tend to win the most. I think, without going off topic here, I mean, I think it's slightly changed now to the point where Newcastle just physically can't do that because of the commercial deals which were restricted now under because obviously the new rules that came in, it's, it's not going to be another Manchester City or even Chelsea at that point. Um, I think obviously that 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 ship sailed now where, where clubs just can't do it anymore and, and they have to, to look at the future. They've got to spend wisely per season and span that out over X amount of seasons, which we've saw Chelsea do in, in the last couple of seasons, which will probably come back and bite them on the arse, to be fair. Um, but if we go back to this game, and obviously I, I know you you thought at some point that, that Newcastle would drop off and start slipping down the table. Um, at what point because I've been texting you quite regularly when Newcastle kept on winning games, thinking, Harry, at what point are going to drop? Was there any sort of point in the season where you thought, hang on, Newcastle are going to stay here? Um, I can't pinpoint exactly when, but I certainly came away from the game at Emirates Stadium back in January, um, thinking this side are solid and this side won't lose many games between now and the end of the season. I did feel like the goals might dry up. That was kind of my concern for Newcastle. And then Alexander Isak came in and helped with that. And Callum Wilson's, um, you know, in great form. And, and you've seen Almiron contribute this season and, you know, goals from midfield. So I think that was my concern for Newcastle. That was the reason I felt that things might dry up. Because I thought sometimes when you're incredibly solid in the way that Newcastle showed themselves to be that night at Emirates Stadium, it can take away a little bit from your attacking play. But what Eddie Howe's mm. been able to do better than I expected, and I'll hold my hands up and say better than I expected, is he's too, found man. that balance. Yeah, he's found that balance. He's found an incredible balance. And um, it was weird to me. It, it kind of caught me out a little bit because when I think about Eddie Howe's Bournemouth sides, I used to think of free-flowing, attacking football, good football in the eye. Maybe they were a bit naive at times, not defensively as sound as they needed to be. And in the end, when they couldn't generate the same style of football going forward, the fact that they were fragile defensively let them down. And that's why ultimately Eddie Howe got moved on. But when I saw him bring that team to Emirates Stadium and, and watch the way they defended, I thought, no, actually, he does have another string to his bow in terms of being able to organise a team. And I didn't really see that in Eddie Howe previously, which is probably... Mm why I felt that at some point Newcastle might fall away. But credit to them, I tip my hat to the job he's done and to the players as well. Because for some of those individuals who weren't performing at a high level prior to his arrival, to be able to step up their game and not only step it up, but maintain it as well, I think is massive. I think it mm. really is. It, it, it's probably uh, probably the first season in a long time where we've had players sat on the bench ready to step in and take somebody's spot when they're underperforming me. And it's been a long time since that's happened. So, so looking at the game itself, is there any area, which I know you won't want to say this as an Arsenal fan, but obviously Eddie Howe and Arta are not going to be listening to this. Uh, is there any point of Arsenal's setup where you think Newcastle could attack any sort of fragile situations and, and spots where Newcastle could target? Yeah, there's a couple. Um, there's a couple. Great news. 
<laughs> the first one would be in the right centre-back position. That's where you want to get at because Arsenal are probably, I'm guessing, going to play Jakub Kivior there, who made his Premier League uh, or earned his first Premier League start on Tuesday against Chelsea. But he is very, very left-footed and he's playing on the right side of the central defence. Now, maybe in the olden days, that wasn't such an issue. Uh, maybe for some managers, it's not such an issue. But for Mikel Arteta, who loves his team to pass it out from the back. There have been times where he's playing on his wrong side and he has to just take that extra touch, which allows whoever's pressing him to get that little bit closer. And that obviously increases the risk of him losing possession. So he's one that I would look at. Also, he hasn't been involved in a game as physical as the one that he's probably going to be involved in on Sunday if he plays. So if I were Newcastle, I'd be looking to get in and among him. The other area is left-back, where Zinchenko plays. For all his brilliance, for everything he does in terms of helping us in possession, controlling games, breaking lines with his passing, he's fantastic in that sense. He is vulnerable defensively. He really, really is. And Gabriel has been getting him out of a lot of trouble this season. And we don't even know if Gabriel is going to be fit. I hope he is. But if he's not, that would be even more of a problem area for Arsenal. So the left-back situation is, is one that I think Newcastle should look at because... Um, you know, the, the poor goal Arsenal conceded against Chelsea the other day was Zinchenko switching off and he does switch off because he's not naturally a defender. So those would be the two areas I'd be looking to hurt Arsenal in if I was Eddie Howe. Mm. It's 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 strange that you, you mentioned obviously the left-back situation with yourself because over the right-hand side for us and on the right wing, um, at this moment in time, I'm not sure who Eddie Howe is going to go with because obviously we've got Almiron who's, who's back to fitness, but we've got Jacob Murphy there and you mentioned players that have overperformed and obviously exceeded expectations with the arrival of Eddie Howe. He's another one, Jacob Murphy, mm. probably top of that list uh, as to players that are performing really well. And I'll, I'll obviously hold my hands up and thought Jacob Murphy would be one of the players that disappeared from this football club after the takeover. Yeah. So, and also you mentioned the likes of, of the high press. Newcastle have been renowned for doing that this season. And that's from the initial blow of the whistle to the 90th minute. Newcastle will press throughout that game. So, so that is quite interesting. I think what it comes down to is probably going to be that that battle in midfield, which I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing there because both clubs have, have got a fantastic midfield there. Obviously, from Newcastle point of view, we've got Joe Linton, who who was an absolute animal. I don't think there's a better way to, to describe him. He's an animal that'll absolutely mop everything up, take players' names, and and honestly, he's he's put scoring into his game as well, which. He was bought as a Newcastle number nine, so it's great to see that now. <laughs> you've got Bruno Gomeras, who was obviously linked with Arsenal in the past. And you've got Joe Willock, who, who I'm shouting from the rooftop, should have some fall of England call-up at some point in the next couple of years. And you've got Longstaff. Longstaff is Newcastle United's workhorse. He really is. He's the player that doesn't get the credit that he deserves. and He's the one that, that's covering every single blade of grass throughout that game. Who's We're not sure if he's going to make the start on 11 or the bench uh, on Sunday. In regards to your midfield, if you were to go through your players, what do you think is going to be the danger point for Newcastle? Uh, in terms of who you need to look out for and, and where yes. you need to be careful. So I'd say Arsenal's left-hand side in terms of the way they attack down that left-hand side. Obviously, Bukayo Saka on, his, on the right is a problem in himself. Mm. But what Arsenal often do on the left-hand side, they play this really unorthodox sort of way in which Zinchenko tucks inside into midfield. Xhaka goes out to the left-hand side and that allows Martinelli to drift inside. 
Martinelli's a real danger man because not only is he a goal scorer, he is incredibly quick um, and, and he's really tenacious. And my hope is that he can pin Kieran Trippier back as well. And Kieran Trippier might think twice about crossing the halfway line as often, knowing yeah. that Martinelli is in behind him because if he gets half a yard on you, he is gone. You're not catching him. Um, so he would be, and that left-hand side would be something that Newcastle need to watch out for. Martin Odegaard, if you can close off that passing lane into Martin Odegaard, then you probably limit Arsenal quite a bit um, in terms of um, in terms of what they're doing. But one of the things Arsenal have done really well this season is use the half spaces. So not quite the wide spaces, just those areas in between the wide areas and the central areas. They've they've used those areas really well and overloaded those areas by pushing Xhaka and Odegaard up top. When Arsenal press, it looks like a front five and it's very difficult to play around. Once you do, then, you know, there's a good chance that you're in, but they've made it really difficult for teams to play out. And um, and so as much as I expect Newcastle to press, and they will, I think Arsenal will look to do it as well. I don't expect Arsenal to come there and try and drop off. They don't know how to, and they won't. Yeah. They'll, they'll try and play their game. They'll try and impose themselves on Newcastle. They'll feel like the best way to to avoid Newcastle creating a ton of chances is to keep the ball. And um, and so, yeah, I think the left-hand side is is the key area. The half spaces you need to watch out for because that's where Arsenal do their best work. And obviously the individual brilliance of especially Martinelli uh, and Saka on the two flanks is, is something to watch out for. I think you're probably in a similar situation now where, where you'll probably struggle to, to name a, a player of the season amongst the fan base and which player you're going to pick Newcastle's in exactly the same boat. We've got so many that have performed so well this season. And I think what you've just mentioned there in regards to, to Arsenal looking like a forward five when they're going forward, that I think Eddie Howe will probably rub his hand together because Newcastle can hit on the break as well. We, we, we've got some players in there, that team that, that can hit on the break. You mentioned Isaac earlier during this recording and Isaac is... I know it's early days. I really does. I know we paid sixty million pound for him, but that sixty million pound looks like a steal. It really does. It looks like we've got a top top player on our hand that looks like he could easily slot in any sort of team. He really does. He just looks like that versatile player. Um, if we go through the our predictions, mate, uh, I don't normally like doing this because I always feel like it's going to come and bite us on the arse. Uh, but <laughs> if you were to predict the result, what are you going for? I'd go for a 1-1 if I was predicting. Um, just because I think Arsenal will score. I think Newcastle will score as well. Um, and it's a weird one because in a in a way, if Arsenal came away with a point, I'd look at that and go, that's a very good point away at Newcastle mm. United. It wouldn't be any good for us really in the title race. Um, but it, I think what you have to do is kind of accept that the title race is probably over anyway and just focus on what we can get out of that game. I think... Throughout the course of this season, Arsenal have been able to get over sort of issues that have been big issues in the past in terms of going to places and putting it right. And I think to go to Newcastle and avoid defeat after what happened last year would be another step in the right direction. Um, so, yeah, a point for me um, is probably what both of us are going to get. I mean, Newcastle are a handful of points away from making the top four. It's not far off, mate, yeah. If it got to, if it got to the last stages of the game, would Newcastle maybe, and you know, I might have this completely wrong, but would Newcastle look at it and say, let's not open ourselves up here, let's not be silly, and let's take the point against Arsenal and, and move on and go and secure that Champions League spot? I mean, Arsenal can't do that because of the situation they're in, but Newcastle, yeah. with the cushion they have, could do that. So you might see a bit of that as well. 
Yeah, uh, do you know what? We, we do a match preview every week, and there's normally four four lads that, that do the match preview. And this is the first week in a long time we haven't had a predicted Newcastle victory on that one. Um, I think we had two, three draws and a defeat, which were predicted. So it just shows you how much respect that, that we're paying Arsenal during this game as well. And I know Newcastle United has been a fortress this season, but Arsenal, like you mentioned, are, are a complete different beast to what they were last season. They've learned a lot of lessons. And I think Arteta has as a coach as well. Um, so I'm the same as you, mate. I think there will be goals. I think there'll be a draw. Though. I think it'll end up 2-2, personally. But I think it'll be a great game for a neutral. And I wouldn't be shocked if Arsenal took the lead. Because I'm, I'm at that point now as a Newcastle fan. If Newcastle concede, in previous years, I'd be thinking, oh, game over. As soon as we concede once, game over. But as we found out this season, they're quite resilient, this team. They really mm. are. And despite conceding first... Eddie Howe shuffles the deck a little bit, changes formation, and he learns from his lessons from initially in the game. And I think that's something which we've improved in as a football club under Eddie Howe's management as well. We'll actually have a plan B, a plan C, if needs be. So do you know what it is? I'm, I'm, I'm nervous for the game because this is probably the first game in a long time at St. James's Park where I think maybe it won't go our way. But on the other hand, I'm, I'm very excited for it as well because I think it's too great football sides that will take it to each other because you're fighting for the league. I think this is, if I'm being honest, I think this is probably your last chance yep, to, to get back in the race. And I think Newcastle can all but secure that Champions League spot as well with three points at the weekend as well. So I think it's going to be a great game, mate. Yeah, I'm sure it will be. I'm sure it will be. And, um, you know, although these games bring a lot of nerves and a lot of stress, these are the games you want to be involved in, right? And, um, you know, when I was driving up to, to the Etihad the other week, I was on the way and I was sort of bricking it. But at the same time, I was telling myself, well, this is, you know, if, if this was two years ago on a Wednesday night, I probably wouldn't have driven up to the Etihad in the first place because I would have said, we're going to go there. We're going to get absolutely battered. I'm going to have to come all the way back home uh, on that same night. And although it was hard and it was a disappointing defeat, you know, I drove all the way up there and I drove back the same night as well. Um, and I was motivated to do that because at the end of the day, you're in a race and, and we haven't been in the race for a long time. So there is progress. And, and I think when the seasons are over, you know, whatever disappointments maybe both of us feel about, you know, if there was a possibility of maybe doing more in certain competitions or whatever, I think both of us will look back and say, no, actually, that was a very good season for both of our clubs. And, um, and let's be excited about what we're building for the future. Quite nice, isn't it, mate? Two football fans being level-headed throughout. I know, I know, it's mad. We <laughs> haven't shown at each other once. <laughs> <laughs> there is a question that's came in the, in the dying minutes there, and it, yep. it's a great one. I, I didn't even think of it. Um, we might have touched on this before, previously, when we spoke to each other, uh, but it is from Jonathan Casley that says, what are your thoughts on how Willick looks now as a player compared to his time at Arsenal? Uh, he looks a lot more confident now. Um, that's a big thing. I think with Joe Willock... I always looked at Joe Willock and thought there is a player in there, but I don't think we got to see it enough on a consistent level at Arsenal. Yeah, And that was not because he wasn't good enough. It was because he didn't quite fit into the system. So what we had at Arsenal prior to this season was two defensive midfielders. That's how Mikel Arteta set up when he first sort of came in. It would be two defensive midfielders and the one creative midfielder in Martin Odegaard who had that license to go and, and roam and drift mm. around. But the two defensive midfielders never had that license to go and make runs beyond the forwards, get up alongside the forwards. 
And unfortunately for Joe Willett, whenever he played, he always went into that category of one of those two deeper players. And yeah. that isn't his game. You know, you guys have seen him for a while now. You know that Joe Willock is at his best when you take the shackles off of him and you say, go and get up alongside the forwards. Go and make runs beyond the forwards. Go and break late into the penalty area. That is what Joe Willock is fantastic at because he's got one hell of an engine on him and he can get up and down the pitch and cause people nightmares. He's got an eye for goal. He's really good at timing his runs to get yeah. into those positions. And he's a really accomplished finisher for a midfield player as well. So I always looked at him and thought, He's a bit unlucky in that he just doesn't fit here. And when he went on loan to Newcastle and scored a load of goals and and that sparked the, the interest in sort of the permanent deal. I remember I it was eight, eight in 12, I think. Something ridiculous yeah. say that, yeah. It was unbelievable. I remember saying to some of my mates, like, I'm genuinely happy for Joe Willock because he's found a club that appreciates him, that suits him. Um, and and then, you know, and he's he's been able to thrive because he's been able to play his game, Joe Willock's game. You know, he'd come in for us in the Europa League and he'd score a few goals in the Europa League group stages. And people would always say, well, look who he's playing against. You know, mm. the opposition is not. And, and he never really got the credit that he deserved. But he's gone there now. And at Newcastle, obviously, better players have come in since he's arrived at the football club as well. And what he's done is not fallen away, gone into the shadows. He's actually, you know, up to his game as well. I thought in that Spurs game, especially, I thought he was fantastic i thought it was yeah. really good i thought it was great when you played man united as well um those are sort of the two recent newcastle games i've watched i would say uh in full and I, and I think he's been brilliant and i'm delighted for him and i think you guys took a bit of a gamble on him to be fair with the price you paid because of the the fact that there wasn't much sample size in terms of what he'd done before mm-hmm. in the premier league but it's a gamble that's paid off and it's a testament to your recruitment yeah 100 i think what were you found from from willick that Earlier on the season, you were struggling in games, not throughout the game, but you took a long time to to, to be a part of the game, really. Um, but as games go on, you can see that the confidence levels grow and grow and grow. Mm. And like you said, if he gets opportunity to, to push beyond the defenders and even drop on the left-hand side, he loves dropping in that position as well, mate. And on the counter-attack, the, the, the speed that that kid has, and you mentioned his engine, and I think, obviously, under Eddie Howe, that engine has just expanded even more so, mate. And... Honestly, the, the fitness levels that, that he has amongst the rest of the lads are through the roof. They really are. And I think that's, that's a testament to Eddie Howe and his coaching staff. And it's probably one of the reasons why we're up there, sitting in third, third place in the Premier League at the moment. Uh, but thanks, Harry. It's, it's been a pleasure tonight. It's, it's always great to catch up with you. And I, like I said earlier, have a, a level-headed chat in regards to football because you, you don't get it often these days on YouTube. <laughs> no, that's right. Thank you for having me, man. Thank you as always. And um, yeah, we'll definitely uh, catch up again soon. No problem. Thank you very much, mate. Watch Thanks, you mate. Sports Social Podcast Network.